Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Second Act Actors. I'm your host, Dr. Janet McMorty, and I'm still a medical doctor simultaneously trying to pursue a career in acting. I have a fabulous guest this week, one that I've been looking forward to, honestly, since I started this podcast. My guest this week, an industry guest, is Louis Baumander. He is the LB behind LB Acting Studio. He is a director and obviously an acting coach. He was one of my first acting coaches when I started out, and his studio, LB Acting Studio, was the first acting school that I ever went to, and I absolutely fell in love with it. We have a fantastic conversation about how the LB and LB Acting Studio came to be. Oh, God, horrible puns. Sorry, Lewis. <laughs> he has a great story of his you know, life coming from a pretty artistic family and doing a lot of directing and then wanting to coach in the city of Toronto. As you all know, I talk about LB Acting Studio a lot in this podcast. I'm not paid to talk about them. Nothing in this podcast. I'm, I'm not paid for anything. Y'all should know that by now. <laughs> but I really and truly enjoyed their classes, every single one that I've been to. I learned something from every class. And honestly, I learned something from the classes where you know, you don't really want to go. Like I have to drive quite a long way to get to his classes in person. And there's some days when the traffic is awful, the weather's horrible, I'm feeling like crap. Those are the classes, honestly, that I remember the most. And he has taught me the most. He is also presenting at the ACE Conference. The ACE Conference is the Association of Acting Coaches and Educators Conference, which we talked about last week on my podcast with Jennifer Wigmore, one of the founders of ACE. So the conference starts tomorrow, and he is presenting tomorrow afternoon. Following his workshop is my workshop about podcasting and being a good podcast host, but also being a good podcast guest. And if you're interested, the ACE conference is fantastic. The lineup is stellar. You're still able to register. Like I said, it starts tomorrow in Toronto at the Tarragon Theater. All the information on how to register is below. Again, the ACE conference, the acting, the Association of Acting Coaches and Educators, you think I get that right by now, conference is tomorrow and Louis Baumander will be there. Please enjoy world-renowned acting coach, one of my honestly favorite people who I've met throughout this pandemic. Lewis Baumander. Tell me your story. How did you become who you are today? Uh, I was born in a small little town. Uh, <laughs> it was a rainy Tuesday. Uh, it might have been a... No, it was a hot summer day. I'll give you a real short version. Somewhere in high school, uh, I had no idea what I wanted to do, what I wanted to be. Uh, and, uh, you know, when you start applying to colleges, universities... I had no idea, really. Uh, I love to hang out with people. I love to write. Uh, I think I fancied myself a bit of a poet. Uh, but I didn't think, well, how am I going to make a living as a poet? Or, but I really did not have uh, any ambition. Uh, strangely, to this day, I don't think I have a lot of ambition. I think there are people going to look at what I have built around me and say, man, you are one ambitious son of a gun uh, at 70 and you're still expanding and doing all these things. But by my own definition, I don't think this, uh, I saw it ever as ambition. But it was a rainy day on June 6th. I do remember this, which was my birthday. And... Uh, I had to decide where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. I had one of the most supportive mothers you would ever want to find, and she, even she said, Honey, so what are you going to do? <laughs> and I was 18, 17, 18, and I, I think I was just turning 18. Uh, and I believe I got accepted at Carleton in the journalism department and I thought well maybe I'll be a journalist um, 
I got accepted uh, to U of T, um, and it would be in, in the science, to, like science. Uh, and I think at York University as well, um, in a general education, psychology kind of thing. Uh, and so what am I going to do? So I did go to this hill near where my parents lived because I was living with them. And uh, it was a rainy day. I mean, it has all the markings of a, an origin story, but this is all, the, you know, it's all true. And I, this came to me. I don't want there to be a separation between who I am and what I do. I didn't want to work five days to get two days. I didn't want to work 11 and a half months to get two weeks. And that just stuck. Now, the first part, don't want to work five days to get two days, came from a novel by Joseph Heller. Um, I can't remember the title of it. Uh, but I came to the conclusion I just wanted to hang out. <laughs> uh, and uh, I probably had smoked a joint by then. Uh, and But I just thought I just want to really hang out with people. I just want to learn. I mean, in some ways, what I teach them, because uh, you've taken my classes, you've seen how I uh, work in the class. I don't think I've changed since then. I standing on the mark is no different than anywhere else. You're always here, it's always now, and you're some aspect of yourself under different conditions. So that much has not changed. And so that led me to U of T, thinking I might be a psychiatrist. And long it just goes on and on, but Really, in terms of a career, that was the only decision I have ever made. Everything else has unfolded the way it has. There were different paths along the way, but it was, in some ways, I was just this stick floating down a river and went down this tributary or that, got stuck here, eventually dislodged and went this way or that way. <clears throat> so in some ways, um, that was it. Uh, and that's what I get to do. I get to hang out with people. Were you brought up in a creative family of artists? No. Um, I grew up in a very... Uh, proud working class uh, um, world. I grew up in Saskatchewan. Um, uh, I remember when uh, the first social, because uh, the NDP started in Western Canada. It's interesting, it's flipped. And they're the most right wing now. Uh, different form of populism. But my grandparents would not take any uh, money from the government. None. Um, and my grandfather, in the early days, uh, was a fruit peddler, so he had a wagon and a horse. And he delivered in Saskatchewan winter, uh, was delivering fruit, vegetables, meat, whatever. So it was very proud that we know government money. Uh, we don't take, we don't accept handouts. Um, so it had that, you work. Uh, you don't complain. Uh, you, uh, you provide for your family. That's, there was no other question. Now that was it. So I think I grew up in that kind of environment. But I also grew up in the, I was part of the 60s, so I was part of that generation. <clears throat> so 
So, obviously, the 60s influence uh, came into my life. I was right there at the heart of when the Beatles, Dylan, the Beach Boy, like all that music was being produced in that three, four-year period. Like most of that music within three, four years, that's where it came to be. So I was part of that world. Uh, yeah. So although I wasn't raised in a creative, creative home in that sense, uh, the world in which I had to breathe and live in was uh, anything was possible. Uh, once we get past the fact that John F. Kennedy was a cad, may have killed Marilyn Monroe and all of those, you know, nasty things. He said something very powerful um, in 61, uh, I think. And he said, it's not what your country can do for you. It's what you can do for your country. He said, a destination of the moon. We're going to the moon. So, uh, Dylan was writing, come mothers and fathers throughout the land and don't criticize what you can't understand. Your sons and your daughters are beyond your command for the times they are changing. So, that was the world uh, I grew up in. So, it wasn't, um, creativity wasn't, you weren't a creative which, oh, God, makes me sick. Uh, you know, I wasn't a storyteller, you know. Uh, I, there weren't these labels you had to put on yourself to signal your identity in any way. Your identity was not something you wore like a cloak or a costume. Uh, it was something you were. So... That's why the answer, you know, I've answered your question, but not in a traditional way to answer that question because I don't and never have seen the world that way. So, how did LB Acting Studio come about? Where did it all begin? I know you've done a lot of theater as well, too, in your past. How did it, like, what was the nexus of it? Again, it just grew out of things. Um, initially, I was teaching in six-week increments, uh, waiting for the next gig to direct. So, uh, and I never saw it beyond ever six weeks. And... I had a little studio uh, at Young and Lawrence, about a block from my home, or just around the corner from my home. Asha uh, goes all the way back to that place. Uh, then uh, I think they were renovating, had to move out. Uh, I met, uh, I knew Ryan Goldhar, and... Uh, he had a space called Casting Link at 10 St. Mary. I rented a, a space from him there. And then he joined Centro and became Casting Centro. And then we moved all together to 680 Young. So it was probably there that a studio started to form. Because at 10 St. Mary, people used to call up, because I didn't have a cell phone. Uh, people would say, Louis! And we'd have to send somebody down. Uh, people paid me in cash, mostly. Uh, the people at the donut shop thought I was, uh, I was a drug dealer, pimp, something or other. I don't know. People would give me cash right there at Young and, uh, and St. Mary. Um, and 
a couple of uh, actors, uh, Sean Reynolds and Dave Tompa, who are uh, huge fans, and uh, they told me I needed a website. So Dave Tompa made me a website. And when I went to 680 Young, we made a deal that from 8 in the morning, uh, from 8 in the morning to 6 p.m., Monday to Friday, it was their space, Casting Central. And I had it from 6 p.m. to 8 in the morning. So... I was teaching four, five classes a week. I was coaching, and then and it just grew, and I was coaching, uh, I think, somewhere, I think I peaked at about 32 students uh, a week, plus my four classes. Uh, and then Georgina Riley uh, was uh, one of my students, and uh, Georgina just was so curious and she would hang out after class and want to know about this, want to know about that and she would occasionally have these Friday nights at her house and uh, some of the actors would get together and they'd pretend to be me uh, and she turned out to be the best me uh, and so people started asking her to coach a little bit and she didn't know what to do with that so I said you know what, I can't handle everybody, and so she became my first coach. Um, then the Hani, and then it, we moved to 321 Davenport, bigger space, I had my own office. Um, Michelle uh, was my first assistant. Uh, I was still doing a lot of teaching at the School of Comedy. I was still directing. I was still doing a lot of other things. Uh, and then at some point I quit Humber uh, and uh, there was just too much work and I said no to all these other gigs and I started to just focus on this emerging thing and I called Sean and said Sean I don't know what to do I think I need a manager of some kind and he told me um Heather, um, who worked for him, uh, might be willing. Heather came. And she's the one who probably turned it into a studio. Uh, she, she's one who said I had to charge for my consultations. I would sit in my office. People would just walk by, sit down, plop on my couch and talk. Uh, people walk in any time and then she started to can I help you? Do you have an appointment? Uh, and I uh, no, that's okay. It's not okay. Is he a friend? Is she a friend? And I say, yeah, okay. But she set that up. And so it from there, I guess it um, it grew, and then other teachers started to come on board. But that's, and then with, uh, yeah, she left because she had a baby, and she had an assistant named Caitlin, uh, and she trained Caitlin how to handle me, uh, and she's been handling me ever since you mentioned a lot of the people like michelle and the other coaches that you've had that you've now grown um there's such a variety of coaches within your studio i don't know if i have a question it's more of a statement in that like so michelle was my first ever acting coach ever ever and just I just felt so connected to her and her method of teaching and your method of teaching. But there's such a broad variety of coaches at LB. Um, like, how did you how did you find these people? Well, first to be an LB acting coach, uh, 
you have to have trained with me a minimum of five years. And for um, Georgina, Nahani, Michelle, Stephen, Jacob, for them specifically, uh, they had to, I teach the first half of their class. Then I was like the choreographer, they were the dance captain. So I teach the first half, they taught the second half. That's why the classes are structured 6 to 7.30 and then 7.30 on, because I was in their classes from 6 till 7. And so that's how they evolved. Um, the other coaches, uh, Asha, Kaylee, Daniel Karp, uh, they, Jujube, they didn't actually uh, teach the second half of a class. They got their own class, but not before they spent probably three rounds uh, auditing, uh, sitting in uh, and auditing all the other coaches. They had to go into every other coach's class. They had to be part of my new LB class. They had to sit in every one of those. So that's so that's how. So they're all connected to me in that way. And again, I didn't. Every coach appeared. They didn't, they just appeared. Like, oh, there they are. They're coaching. Uh, so they're all very different, but um, they're united in one thing. And I think for all the teachers you've studied with or coached with, you will, they are all, uh, I taught them not only what to teach, but how to teach it. And I think the how to teach it is probably the most important part of that. And in my selection of them or them being selected by the universe, as it were, um, it was that thing they are all a some extension of me. Not in their whole lives, by any means. I'm not saying anything remotely like that. Um, I have no idea what they do in their lives for the most part, you know. Uh, and they don't have any idea about me, really, you know. Um, we're not friends. Uh, but within the studio and the teaching, uh, we are bonded by, by that. So it doesn't matter what class you go to, you'll be picking up the same message and more or less the same techniques or drills. They're all virtually identical. There is a slight difference in their natures of uh, what they picked up from me. Um, Michelle has picked up mostly the nurturing side of my nature. Uh, Jacob, for the most part, has picked up um, my humor and the way I do it. Uh, Stephen trained with me um, when uh, I was uh, a much tougher, more aggressive kind of teacher. Um, and Stephen's got that, that same kind of um, no bullshit in your face kind of thing. So he picked up on that aspect of me. Um, Obviously, Daniel Bomander picked up on <laughs> a lot of uh, uh, things, but probably his philosophical, spiritual side uh, is probably... <clears throat> and they all do all of it. 
You know, it's not uh, that they don't. It's just where their own spirit is coming from. But they'll be acting studio is a thing now, you know, and I don't... Um, I can't quite identify with it myself. Uh, I envy it. I wish I was part of it. I know it sounds strange. Uh, but in some ways, I created a world in which I wanted to live. Uh, and artistically and, you know, in that way. And so there is this world that exists of which um, I'm not really part of. Um, I'm, I don't know, I'm this, uh, I don't know what this thing is. I mean, it's not bad. <laughs> you know, uh, it's not bad. Uh, it's just, for fear of it being a cliche, it just is what it is, but it is what I, I have strived to be. Uh, nobody. Uh, the uh, the title of the book I'm working on, the title is um, The Long Journey Back to Here and Now. And uh, Are You Anybody? And uh, that that's a funny story, actually. Um, way back in late 90s. Anyway, I'm uh, spending a lot of time with Keanu in Los Angeles. We're preparing to do a, a production of Hamlet. And I'm the, the theater flew me down uh, there. And uh, he set a few conditions uh, for being in it. One, I directed um, two, he would have access to me for a year. Uh, and three, that he would not be paid more than anybody else at the studio, at the theater. Uh, those were his conditions. Um, so, uh, anyway, we're, uh, one trip, I'm there we were rehearsing in the morning went for lunch at the sports bar and then we're going to go back and rehearse and we're sitting there and uh, the waiter comes up and says uh, Mr. Reeves there's some people who would really like your autograph uh, or have the picture taken would you be he said look let me finish my lunch and after lunch I'll be happy to sign autographs so we finished our lunch and he stood at once end of the bar deepest into the restaurant, you know, at those big long bars. So he's at that end, and I'm at where the bar comes around towards the exit. And uh, I'm standing there. And there's a lineup. And it's and they're waiting, and he's, you know, signing, posing, you know. And there's this guy at the end of the line. And he keeps looking nervously, like, is he going to be able to get one? And he keeps looking, and he sees me. And his face kind of lights up, and he goes, are you anybody? <laughs> uh, and it was so earnest that it broke my heart, and I said, I'm sorry, no. And he put his hand on my shoulder and he says, don't worry, either am I. <laughs> that's, the, that's such a great story. <laughs> and so that's the subtitle of the book, Are You Anybody? I love that. Are You Anybody? <laughs> Which fits into the, the whole notion of standing on the mark is no different than anybody else. Uh never walk into a room wanting anything, only walk into a room with something to give or to offer, are, are 
goal is to share, not acquire. So it fits in with um, just how I've endeavored to live my life anyway. One of the big messages that I've gotten from your classes and the classes I've taken with other instructors at LB, well, there's tons of messages. I was looking at some of my notes from classes and they're like stack. But, and you also really, you wrote, you wrote a really great blog post about it and it's the notion of empathy. And I find that as an actor, really, I'm trying to figure out how to word this. I find it hard to bring that in because so much of what I'm doing as a still fairly new actor is thinking about what I have to do here, lines and feelings and all that stuff, as opposed to the other person. And the biggest lesson I've learned from you is how, like, the empathy and the importance of the other person. And I was wondering if you could touch a bit more on that, because that's such a powerful message, I think. Well, first, let's see if, going back to the origin stories... Uh, so I don't know how old I am, maybe I'm under 10, maybe I'm 8, 6, 8, 10, I don't know. Um, but I'm on the porch, uh, with my mother and we used, we used to wish on stars and that kind of thing. And my mother would always say, before you wish for anything for yourself, wish something for somebody else. So the seeds of all of that, okay, um, the seeds of all of that, if you're looking at origin stories, goes probably uh, back to that place. Uh, so then, of course, I spent uh, time in various Zen monasteries at different points in time. Uh, so empathy has always been uh, a critical part of... Um, not a critical, that makes it sound uh, technical. Uh, just a very essential way in which I have chosen to live. So then shifting it to a practical application to the acting process. Uh, central to the studio is that if the goal is to be authentic, the only way to be authentic is to be authentic. Therefore, any acting technique that creates even this much of a separation between who you are and what you're doing will be seen as acting you have to remove that time lag between the impulse and the action. So how do we do this? Well, the only way to accomplish this is to learn how to do consciously what you're doing unconsciously anyway. So what are the key elements to that? Curiosity, empathy, breathing, These are the essentials of human communication. Now, there's some cognitive things in there that, um, that tie into my various drills, thought, action, you know, behavior and rhythm, and all of those, how the brain processes information, how to take that and apply it to your script. So there's those technical elements. It's not all uh, Zen Buddhism nature-based, you know. There's a very pragmatic part of it. But if you consider when you watch a television show, you don't sit there and go, oh, damn, and put it on pause. i got to find a way to relate to this. I have to do a substitution. I have to... No, because empathy. That's not your situation up there on the screen. You're not identifying with the situation. You're identifying with the underlying dynamic of that. So that's where empathy it comes into play as a acting technique. 
and it cuts through uh, a lot of nonsense, really. Do you have any advice? So a lot of the people who are listening to this are what I've now dubbed second act actors, people like myself who didn't go to theater school, had another career or currently have another job and are now interested in pursuing a career in acting, being more creative, trying to fuel that fire. Do you have any advice for people interested in trying it out and trying to get Honestly, and this is what I felt, like getting back in touch with some of those emotions, with that, with that empathy, honestly. Uh, well, it starts with getting out of bed in the morning. I mean, the very fact that, and certainly in this day and age, sorry, I've got to deal with this. Uh, certainly in the last three years, four years, just to get out of bed in the morning is an act of faith. Uh, You've already won. If you get out of bed, get dressed, and walk out that door to do something, uh, you're already a winner. So I think that's important and getting back to and remembering what are we here to do anyway we're here to grow get better stronger at what we do share our nutrients and our our pollen you know with others and make more of ourselves and leave the place a little better than when we found it. What else are we here to do? Everything else is really a distraction and a source of a lot of disappointment, um, uh, pseudo-pleasure, egotistical desire, you know. Uh, I mean, there are pleasures, you know, and uh, uh, we are, we have flesh, we have, you know, pleasures. We want to satisfy these pleasures and needs, of course. But that has nothing to do with who we are. That's just a thing we do to satisfy um this hunk of bone and flesh that walks around. There's a deeper thing in us that requires attention. So now is it's very difficult uh, to have the discipline, and it is a discipline, to pay attention to that. Uh, not to cave into the uh, manicness around us. Uh, there is a, a Zen uh, question, which never has an answer, which is, can a man walk through a smoke-filled room and come out the other end not smelling of smoke? And... Uh, so every day uh, one is walking through various <laughs> abominations and poisons and you know and it's hard not to um, want to join in it's interesting because I think I resonate with that as a feeling of as somebody who came into this later in life and this realization, there's a feeling of, like you're saying, manic energy. And the poison around me is I need to catch up because I'm behind. I'm behind people who have been doing this since they were six. And now I need to catch up, which is false. True, but false. Because of course, I'm not going to catch up, right? They've got 30, 24 years of experience more than I do but I'm on a completely different path. 
And so I think, I know that's a, f- a vein that's traveled through a lot of people I've talked to who are coming into this later in life, that that's the manic fear of what do I need to do? I need to do it now. Advice, advice, advice. I need advice. I need advice. And there's so much advice out there that it's just overwhelmingly to stop. Like, how do you, how do you sift through that? Especially if you don't come from this, from a theater school background who, you know, you would hope would try and help people sift through it. Mm. Well, First of all, you look at most theater school graduates, and they are are no further ahead, but more in debt, and have a lot of bad <laughs> ideas in their head. So in that one sense, right. people who are coming at it from a second career often have made some sacrifices, have established a certain financial cushion or underpinning, uh, and so in some way, in that sense, are way further ahead because they don't have a lot of nonsense in their heads and they have maturity and they have a certain amount of financial uh, stability. They've also worked through their adolescent uh, confusions and arrived at a place that they know now what they want. So I would argue people who are coming into it and the second wave are actually often much further ahead than others. Because most of the kid teen actors aren't working. There's a higher likelihood of a child star ending up uh, a drug addict than a successful adult actor. Okay. And Sarah Pauly has gone into great detail about some of, of this. Um, I mean, a very unique and specialized experience. And um, But uh, a lot of these kids, teens, I, knew, I know a lot of them. I knew a lot of them. Um, they weren't further ahead. So it's, I would argue that it's a false premise. Uh, and a lot of these premises is based on capitalizing on people's insecurity. But it's never been any different going all the way back to the beginning of time, people were hawking bullshit from the beginning. But the American Midwest, you know, the West, snake oil, music man, confidence men, uh, that's been the thing. And wherever there's insecurity, wherever there's self-doubt, there is someone who's going to dig a hole, build a bridge, from here to here, put up a toll gate and charge admission to get to the other side. One, so I interviewed Jennifer Wigmore, who founded the, and I'm going to get the acronym wrong, but like the Canadian Association of Acting Coaches and Educators that I know you and everyone in your studio are, are part of. Because, uh, because of that, and I... Do you have any advice for people on choosing an acting class or an acting coach? Yeah, I in that document, uh, one of the centerpieces is a um, article I wrote on what you need to know to pick a good acting coach. Uh, so there's actually a blog uh, that deals with that. Um, I would not be impressed by the famous people they may or may not have coached. Uh, Because as coaches, we're lucky that they passed through us. And, um, you know, I'm pulling away my own cover here in some ways, but... um, in this last year or so, um, the juxtaposition of Keanu Reeves and Shamir Anderson, 
both being in John Wick 4 together and them sending me a video about that experience um, puts me in terms, you know, like it, it's, it says something. It doesn't say anything. It says there are two people who had careers, who were very talented, who worked so hard to achieve what they achieved. And I was so fortunate to be a small part of their process. That's it. I was the lucky one, not them. Now, they can say what they want. That's their business. But I would not study with me or at the studio for that reason. Or any studio for that reason. Uh, I would audit classes and is what's being said feel feel right? There's two parts. One, uh, there's a craft part. There may be something, a particular coach, there's a technique, there's a uh, a particular aspect of the work, a tool that you don't think you have, and then you can, you know, precision work to acquire that tool and then leave. Uh, there is that component. But then there's another one, which is finding a home of a sort. And I, it feels like uh, that LB Acne Studio has become that place for a lot of people. And that's quite wonderful. And if that feels like this is your community, then sure, then you, you come and, and study here. And that's why, I mean, there are people studying at the studio who have been here 12, 13, 14 years, five years, seven years. There's... Um, and, People have taken one class and gone away, so it's not, and once you're here, you're stuck, you know, by any, any stretch. Uh, but, um, yeah, that, that would be the advice. And listen to that voice that tells you, uh, I'm not sure. There is, uh, when children are little, Parents teach them the difference between a good touch and a bad touch. And the same is true with acting coaches in acting studios. There is, unfortunately, a little bit of the physical inappropriateness. I'm not talking about that. That exists uh, in every industry, wherever there's power dynamics, there's going to be uh, abuse of power. But I'm talking about the psychological component, because you go into an acting class very open, and there are psychological bad touches, and you have to be very tuned into that thing. So if an acting coach says, uh, I think you've got some trust issues, and a little voice in you is saying, no, I don't. I feel threatened by that. I'd find my way out of that class as quick as possible. Uh, you know what your problem is? No, you don't have a problem. You may have some habits that... Uh, aren't helpful to certain scenes, plays, screenplays, auditions. You have some ha habits that aren't helpful, but you don't have a problem. You know who you are? No. You've just met me. You don't know who I am. 
So I'd be – the kinds of things an acting coach says that you would not tolerate at a party in the workplace where you would go, what's up with that person? Like, whoa, you just crossed the line there. And if an acting coach says anything that you would find inappropriate or somehow uh, a psychological threat in any other environment of your life, you're in the wrong place. But somehow we give a certain benefit of the doubt. And that's why I am so um, um, I do not like theater schools. Now, I haven't been in one for a few years. Maybe things have changed. But there was a thing that we're going to break you down. And they say that with great pride and joy and glee. Uh, what other school What other school program could they say that to you without calling HR, without calling the police? Somehow acceptable. And this kind of abuse, like the church, you know, in many ways, is that abusers abuse. Not all, but there is a proclivity, if you have been abused, to abuse. And so a lot of the teachers come out of these theater schools and come to believe that this is the way. They don't know any different. So they would argue they're not abusing. Uh, and you could hook them up to a lie detector and they'd come up clean. They did not abuse anybody. Um, I know some of these teachers. I've directed them myself at times, you know. And they're good people. They're really, really good, talented people. But somehow in these environments, aren't always uh, so good. There is, it's funny, a correlation. It's seen in medical school, right? Ah. Uh, the idea of, you know, there's like the two people types of people in the world, right? There's the, the, the people who said, I went through this in medical school and in residency and training in theater school. So therefore, you do too. Back in my day, blah, blah. But then there's the people who say, I had to go through this and no one else should. So we need to make a change. And like you're saying, both people think they're, the, they're doing the right thing and that they're going to get the best work out of whoever, right? Doctors, actors, whatever. But we know from in medicine specifically that 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 type of breaking down and tyranny and abuse doesn't lead to good outcomes as physicians. So how could it lead to good outcomes in actors as well, too? Like when you're being so much more emotionally vulnerable. Right. Well, you see, because it's skewed statistics. So if 200 people graduate from a particular theater school and a small percentage like two or three are successful and they were abused we say it's okay because what happened to the other 198 so the statistics get screwed uh, around that I'm going to say that again. The statistics, <laughs> the statistics get skewed uh, because of that, and so we say this or that. I would uh, also say it's everything isn't so binary. Uh, I do think, uh, as an older guy, I do believe there is a softness in. Uh, from millennial on down uh, that uh, 
feels it's entitled to something. That their feelings are the single most important thing in the world. How you feel is not a fact. How you feel is not an argument. <laughs> uh, how you feel isn't something that you can declare from the rooftops with any kind of moral certitude. Uh, and there is a tendency for that uh, to be the case. Um, your feelings don't matter. I think one of the reasons that I think Yellowstone is so popular is that it uh, actually believes in moral righteousness and more moral certitude and you live by a certain code and you can disagree with that code but these people live by it they're you may not like it but they they live honorably within it and they get on with it every day they're not big babies about it. Uh, life is hard. And your job is just because you're hurt or upset by what somebody says or how they said it doesn't give you moral, ethical supremacy over anybody so I think that is uh, an invasive uh, part of the culture and um, may limit the kind of art that we produce well it's em it's, it's empathy hmm? right like if you're thinking what you're f if you're f what you think you feel is morally superior to the person who made you feel that way you got that's it. not empathy it's gone right absolutely yeah, yeah. Hmm. because your feelings not their feelings do you have any final words of wisdom or advice um just try to live righteously uh recognize that uh life can be hard and difficult at times you don't have to feel guilty because you live in a part of the world that isn't war-torn, that isn't starving, that isn't any of these things. That's not our world. We should do what we can, uh, donate, give our time to uh, bring attention to that kind of suffering, absolutely. But this is our life, and uh, we live here, and we shouldn't be ashamed of it. We have our own issues, and we have to get up every morning and live our lives. So um, I think from something uh, from Dylan uh, was saying that if you can get up in the morning and then go to bed at night being a little better than you were when you woke up given a little bit more back to the world then when you woke up, you've had a good day. If you haven't, it's not, and you measure your day by that. Um, so I would say that that's, but it's, I'm not, I know people like me in my position who can sit here and talk with a certain kind of eloquence and authority um, and have the resume to back it up uh, can be seen as people who've accomplished their work is done they're, they're, they're here you know and uh, I have to struggle with the very same things every morning uh, I deal with all the insecurities I deal with, all the 
petty, egotistical um, fantasies about this person, that person. I'm hurt by this person not saying thank you. I'm uh, resentful that this person didn't do that. I deal, you know, now, I, uh, I'm disciplined enough that these things don't take root and impact on my behavior uh, beyond 30 seconds, you know? But I think every time you watch anybody's video, uh, any self-help video, you know, you know, the, oh, the bicep guys and the ones who are walking with their stick people, the ones in the mirror with their diet things and their workout clothing and all of that, just know that every one of those shots took many takes to achieve. And the person... 30 seconds before that and the one 30 seconds after is often just as messed up as you are. And you can take their advice. It's not that their advice can't be good. It is. uh, Often. Uh, Sometimes it's stupid. Uh, But they haven't achieved this perfect place. And so to an earlier thing, when you say people are ahead of you at certain points in time, um, know that on, on the either side of that video, the things that got edited out and color corrected and sound adjusted is just vulnerable people working their way through it just like you or I. Oh, that's great. I do have to say at the end... Just a massive thank you for all the incredible work you've done building this community, especially over the last three years. So I started taking classes at your studio almost like three years to this day, which is kind of neat. And at the beginning of the pandemic, when everything was awful for everyone, especially me as a doctor, sorry, but... Your Fridays with Lewis were incredible. The people I've met, who have a lot of them have been on this show, we've kept in touch. Your classes are really hard in the best way. And I have learned and grown so much as a human from you and all of the incredible instructors you have at LB. And there isn't, I don't think, a single episode of this podcast that I haven't mentioned your studio. The guest hasn't mentioned your studio. There's a reason why you, you're, you're the best, right? It's just the work you've gotten out of me and people that I know just excites me. And I just, I know I'm a better person because of taking your classes, which I know is a little bit wooey, but it's the damn truth. Uh, no, I, I appreciate it. Uh, and it's something I've also had to learn how to do. Um, uh, that I have in the past not been appreciative uh, because in my desire to not uh, indulge in it, get uh, too involved mm-hmm. with it, I've uh, gone too far the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll say a heartfelt thank you. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And thank you, Lewis, for being my guest this week. I know I already thanked you in our episode, but truly, your acting school and your acting style has been so profoundly impactful for me as an actor, as an artist, as a human being. I've learned so much about myself, about others, and I've loved every single class I've been involved with at your studio. And the coolest thing, I think, is I've really enjoyed getting to know everybody that I've met through your acting studio. As You know, if you all have been listening since the beginning, a lot of my guests are people that I've met at LB Acting Studio. If you're looking for a acting coach, especially as a newer actor starting out in this career later on in life, as all of us are, definitely check out the ACE website and that these are Canadian uh, acting coaches, I should say. 
So that stands for the Association of Acting Coaches and Educators. There's a list of acting coaches who have gone through their training, which is all about diversity in the classroom, inclusion, power dynamics, LGBTQ2+, all the fantastic things that are so important for acting coaches and educators to be aware of in this crazy business of getting deep into your emotions and feeling stuff. I hope you will all tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. And before I say bye, I hope I will see some of you tomorrow at the ACE conference. If you're there, come say hi. I would love to meet you in person. If you're not there in person, you're joining the live stream, reach out to me on social media. I would love to hear your thoughts on my workshop. Again, thank you for tuning in and I will see you next week. Bye. Second Act Actors is produced and edited by me, Janet McMorty. Theme music by Guillaume. Additional sound editing by David Studio. Additional video editing by Jackie Wadewer. Show notes written by Sarah Hopkinson. I record using Riverside FM. If you're interested in developing an interview-based webcast like mine, I highly recommend this platform. Shoot me an email and I'll direct you to the wonderful folks there. If you or someone you know is interested in being a guest, email me at secondactactors at gmail.com. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. My love language is words of affirmation, so compliments, constructive criticism, and feedback are always welcome and encouraged. Negative Nancys, Judgy McJudgersons, or Debbie Downers, unless you're Rachel Dratch, regarding me or my guests are not welcome. It takes serious courage to share your story with the world, so if you're tempted to negatively comment about someone else's story, please ask your therapist why you're such a garbage person. Save the drama for the stage. On that happy note, I hope you'll tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye!